My Car Guru, Season 12, Episode 4. Hey folks, Lenny Lawson here, Car Guru. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Do you have a lawyer or do you know a lawyer? Do you need a lawyer? I needed one today, but you know I really didn't. Come to find out, you can go online and get a lawyer. Well, maybe not a lawyer, but you can get a um, access to legal forms. So why would I need legal forms, you may ask? Well, I loaned a guy some money, and I wanted to make sure that the document that I used to um, enforce my ability to collect that loan was legal in the state of Tennessee. So I signed up for this program. I found a uh, company called Law Depot. That's L-A-W-D-E-P-O-T dot com. It's not cheap. It's, well, you get a seven-day free trial. So you can download, like if you just need one form, like let's say you need to do a lease or, you know, let's say you're loaning somebody something or selling a piece of real estate, you can download all those forms from Law Depot for free for seven days, and then you jump out of it, and then you don't have to pay anymore. But if you want to keep doing it, it's $35 a month. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, just think what it costs to have somebody draw up a promissory note or a lease or something like that. Now, I'm not trying to knock you lawyers out of business. I know that, you know, when it comes down to it, if you have to go to court and, you know, a good lawyer is is on the other side, they could possibly be able to poke holes in the document that you downloaded from lawdepot.com. It's kind of like trying to be your own plumber. You know, I don't mess with my toilets because, uh, I don't know, I'm just afraid I'll create a leak. I've got a gasket on one that I need to replace. I'm not doing that. I'm calling a plumber, you know, and I've got, a, I've got some light flickering problems in my kitchen. I guess there was a time when I used to, I remember when I got my first house, I bought the Time Life Home Improvement Series. It's a bunch of books, a bunch of different volumes on everything from plumbing to framing to sheetrocking all that kind of stuff. I would tackle stuff like that then. I didn't have any money back then. So now I, I hire people and watch them, and I want to make sure it's done right. So that alone is a good reason to hire a lawyer if it's something serious. But if you just need a form done, I mean, I've read some of these forms that my lawyers have drawn up for me, and I, I think, I could have done that. You know, that'll be 250 please. You know, I just, uh, sometimes we need to be able to do things ourselves. There are some things we should not do ourselves. One of those is to interact with car dealers or whether they're new new car dealers, used car dealers, repair shops. When we have a serious issue and we really don't know what we're talking about, we don't have a lot of experience in dealing with those car things. That's why you need a guru. That's why I'm here, 423-552-2020. Um, I, you know, if I were to guess, I'd say I'd get 12 to 15 calls or, or text messages a week with questions about cars and buying and selling and stuff. A lot, of, at least half of them are about old cars and about, you know, think what people want to do or should do with their old vehicles, antiques. Sometimes they're not antiques and they want to know what what's the best place to sell this thing. I mean, it's like, for example, the other day I had a 2006 Toyota Tundra guy called me has 230,000 miles on it. 
Well, you know, you would think that wouldn't be worth much. Most of life out, is out of it, but it's a pickup truck. It's got four doors. It's four-wheel drive. He described it to me. He said, Lenny, um, it doesn't look new. It's got some, you know, scratches and and chips and stuff like that around it, but it's got brand-new Michelins on it. See, when he said that, that told me something. He really respects his vehicle, especially if it's got that many miles. It's an 06 model, and he's putting brand-new Michelins on it. You know, he takes care of his vehicle. Most people would not go to that extent. And then, you know, he sent me pictures. I said, wow, this looks like a new vehicle. And, folks, actually, you know, the highest book value for that vehicle on a wholesale standpoint, which is what dealers would want to pay for it, is about six dollars to $7,000. On retail, uh, it went from anywhere from $9,500 to $12,000. That may sound like a lot of money to you, but it's not. From a high retail standpoint, you couldn't touch that vehicle on a car dealer's lot right now for less than fifteen, And it's because it's, a, number one, it's a Toyota. Number two, it's four-wheel drive, full-size truck, four doors, and it's in great condition, even though it has that many miles on it. So what question would you ask somebody that's trying to sell you a vehicle like that? Well, you have to do a little bit of research. I would even have to do a little research. And something popped into my head, and I, I thought, it seems like we had to uh, replace a timing belt on on a Tundra one time. Back in the old days, it just uh, reminded me of that episode. And so I, I checked it out. Yep, it does have a timing belt that has to be replaced. So I asked the guy, I said, have you replaced the timing belt? And he replied, yeah, I'm the original owner, and I've re- replaced the timing belt, uh, let's see, two times. And I went too long on the last time. I said, when was the last one done? He said, 50,000 miles ago. Folks, you're supposed to replace the timing belt on that engine every, I think it's either every 80 or every 100,000 miles on it, and it's about $1,200 to do it. And when you replace the timing belt, you're supposed to replace the water pump at the same time because you're in there anyway, and uh, the water pump runs off the timing belt, so y'all just go ahead and replace it. So he had... So that makes it worth more because I don't have to take care of that. So two points I want to make here. What happens if a timing belt breaks? Now this is a belt. This is like a, you know, like a fan belt. It's flat. It goes in. It's heavy duty. It goes inside the engine though, in the front of the engine, under the front cover. And you know, most people would not have a clue about that. Now I don't know why a lot of manufacturers made. Or, or used rubber for such an important component. In the old days, they used chains, a timing chain, and you never had to change it. But what happens if a timing belt breaks? Well, you have you have pistons going up and down, and they're banging up against valves, and you can imagine what that does. It destroys the engine. That'd be disappointing, wouldn't it? You know, you buy this Toyota, you pay big retail value for it, and you're going down the road, and all of a sudden you hear this loud noise. And then it stops. And you take it to the shop and say, you need a new engine. And all you had to do was replace a timing belt that cost $100. Now, the timing belt's cheap. The labor is what costs the money. And uh, the water pump is, is, well, it's not very expensive, but, you know, you have to replace it. It's all included. It's about $1,200, like I say. Would you rather spend $1,200 or $12,000? Well, that's something that you need to know. But you would not have known that. If you didn't do the research, you buy this truck and, oh, you give it to your child to drive to school or something. He drives it to school and the engine goes out. 
and it's a major problem. That's why you have to do the research on vehicles. Use vehicles before you buy them. And you have to know how the vehicle was maintained. You know, if, if somebody can is trying to sell you a vehicle, just an individual, and they can pull out a book that tells that has written down all the maintenance that they've done on a vehicle, it makes you feel good about it. You know, really, every car owner should do that. The least you should do is every time you have work done on your car, just fold up the receipt and stick it in your glove box or put it in a folder that you keep at your house because the next owner is going to feel really good about you and that car and be willing to pay you more for it if you can prove that it's been properly maintained. So very important issue. Gets a lot of people burned, a lot of people upset because they buy something they thought it was great and it turns out not great. And then they, you know, they financed it. And they have to make payments on something that can't be driven. I've seen that happen so many times. So don't let that happen to you. Give me a call, 423-552-2020, and I'll be back in just one minute. Well, I'm not calling him Eunice. He's too busy. Yeah, I'm busy. But this is what I love to do. I like to help people with their car questions and their car life. I want to make your car life better. Yeah, and I even do it if you don't buy a car from me. That's not what My Car Guru is all about. It's about helping folks with their car-related issues. It's nice to have somebody that can do that. Okay, let's move on. You know, there are more cars that are sold between individuals than there are sold by dealers. You know, if you can, you can advertise a vehicle on Craigslist. I don't know many people do that anymore. Or you can do it on, uh, you know, any of the major websites. Individuals can list cars just like dealers can, and they do. Uh, Facebook Marketplace. Just go on Facebook and look how many cars are for sale. A lot of those are dealers. I advertise on Facebook Marketplace. My salespeople post vehicles on Facebook Marketplace all the time because it's a great source for business, for you know people looking for cars. A lot of people go there. Not if you don't have a Facebook account. I know a lot of people that say, well, I'm not going to be on Facebook. I understand that. But you can sign up for Facebook and never make a post about, you know, your grandkids or your family vacation. At least you'll have access to Facebook Marketplace. And it is a wonderful place to sell vehicles. I sold a 1948 Lincoln Continental convertible on Facebook Marketplace. And that guy was from Illinois. And they drove all the way from Illinois with a trailer to come pick up their Lincoln. And so that worked pretty good. You know, I've sold Mustangs and Broncos and all kinds of stuff, but we saw a lot of late model cars on Facebook Marketplace. So it's a, it's a great thing. But when you're trying to buy a vehicle from an individual, you really need to be more careful than when you're buying it from a new car dealer. Why? Because we have Google ratings we need to worry about. We have a service department that we run the cars through to make sure, sure that they're ready to sell. We have a reputation to preserve. You may say, well, I know dealers that have a terrible reputation. Well, you may. But most of the new car dealers, and I know in our, in our market, are, you know, they're pretty good folks and they run good operations and they do not like being slammed on social media. So they, they work really hard to make sure that their vehicles are ready to sell. And they stand behind them. They have documentation. Uh, you have greater recourse, you know, because you can go through the Motor Vehicle Commission. If you buy a car from an individual, you're pretty much stuck if you don't do the right things. The first thing I want to recommend as far as buying a car from an individual is how you pay for the car. 
especially when they have a payoff. Okay, so if you're going to buy a car from somebody, one of the first questions you need to ask them is, does the car have a payoff? Or do you have the title for the car? Because if they have the title, then it's possible that um, there's no lien on the car. However, I heard of a loan company that says they will loan you money. They'll put a lien on their car with the state, but they won't. you don't have to turn your title into them. That's scary. You know, what if somebody... Uh, sells you a car, and they hand you the title, and then you go to register that thing, and you find out that it's got a lien on it at some little loan company for $8,000 or $5,000. It could be a small amount. It could be $600. You know, you will be blocked from getting a title for that vehicle, even though you have one in your hand, because there is a lien filed with the state, and that would be a problem. I would want to make sure that there's no lien on it. If I have any qualms at all about these folks, so that's one thing. Another thing is you just want to make sure the car's never been wrecked. So for goodness sake, call me. Let me pull a Carfax on it or an auto check report from Experian so that we can make sure that it's not had any bad history. But if it's not on a Carfax or an auto check, does that mean that it's not been in a wreck? Absolutely. does not mean that. You know, they could have taken it to a body shop and they didn't want to turn it into their insurance company because... Their insurance company has told them, you have another wreck, we're canceling you. And so the insurance company has already paid with them on another car. And so they have a little body damage done to this vehicle. Well, don't turn it into the insurance company. So they pay a body shop to fix it, and it doesn't get reported. So how do you tell? How do you tell if a car's been wrecked? Well, I've talked about this a lot um, over the years, and uh, some people will do their due diligence. If you don't know anything about cars, you need to just say, I need to have the car inspected. That's the safest thing you can do. And you take it to a mechanic, and you can have them check out the vehicle, but you also need to take it to a body shop because mechanics, some of them know about paint and body work, but many of them don't. So you go to a body shop and say, would you just come look at this car just for a second? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not doing any business, but I just need a favor. I'll pay you something to do it, and, and they, they won't charge anything. Can you just look at this car and tell me if you see any obvious body repairs or any paint repairs have been done to this car? So what they'll do is they'll come out of their office and they'll look at the car. They'll look, they'll, you know, just get a good sight line down both sides. They'll look at the hood and the top and the and the tailgate. They'll look how body panels line up. They'll see if the, you know, stand away from it, see if the paint matches good, and then they'll start filling for tape lines. They'll raise the hood, feel along the edge of the the hood and along the edge of the fender. They'll open the doors, do the same thing. They'll open the gas door. They'll look on the frame to see if they see any overspray because a lot of body shops are just really sloppy when it comes to uh, some repairs, and they, they don't think that most customers are going to look at it. Well, they don't. They know they won't because most customers don't know, know what to look for. And so that's the safest way to do it. Now, if you have listened to enough of my shows, you probably know some of these techniques, and you can walk around a car and evaluate it. But it's really hard for a, a rookie or an amateur to look at a car and tell if it's been painted. Yeah, the paint may be, may be real shiny, um, and it may you know, be real pretty, have a nice metallic to it, matches good, but you still don't know. Another thing that we look at in this business, we look at the glass. We look and see if the windshield or any of the labels on the, on the uh, side windows uh, are off-brand. 
because, you know, when Ford Motor Companies, when that vehicle's rolling down the assembly line, they're putting glass that says uh, Ford Motor Company on it. Okay, it's FOMO Co. is what it says, all abbreviated. You know, if it's GM, it's going to say GM on it. If you go around the windows and it says different brand names of glass in there, then you know that there's a reason. That could be somebody broke in the car. That's why I encourage people that if they have any kind of body work done to their vehicle that's not turned into, into the insurance company, or even if it is, take pictures of the car before the work is done, and then get a copy of the estimate, just stick it in your glove box. And, you know, be proactive about showing that to the person that's thinking about buying your car, or if you're going to a dealership, show that to them, and then it'll make them feel better when they pull up a Carfax and see that it's that it's been in an accident. So, you know, what else do you need to look for? Well, the most important thing would be any kind of salvage history. And, you know, sometimes you have to use your senses. If you get into a vehicle and it smells musty inside the car, it's either been underwater or the, uh, it's, you know, the windows have been left down and it, it rained in there and they haven't pulled the carpet out and replaced the insulation underneath the carpet or replaced the carpet, and it's just gotten moldy and it just smells bad. I mean, you should be able to, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes it, cigarette smoke and so forth can disguise that. But, you know, you want to know things about these cars. If you're, you know, sensitive like I am to cigarette smoke, you know how it will just linger. It just stay in a car. If, if somebody buys a car and, and smokes in it for three years, it's never going away. I don't care what kind of air fresheners you put in it. You're going to smell that. And, uh, you know, when we smell that here at Gateway, I mean, I've actually wholesaled cars because I knew it would be offensive to a lot of buyers who are non-smokers. Now, if you're a smoker, you know, you, you stick your head in there, you probably don't smell anything because you're used to that. But to the non-smoker, it can be a big deal. Now, I know some of you out there might be saying, now, Lenny, are you serious? Do you mean you can trust a car dealer more than you can trust an honest citizen? Well, that's the problem. There's a lot of dishonest citizens out there. And, um, you know, sometimes they are the people that are selling cars are trying to circumvent state laws, and they're, they're basically operating their own little used car lot without having one because it is not easy to get a, a dealer license. And I don't care if it's a, just a new car dealer or if you're a little used car dealer. I mean, they have to jump through a lot of hoops to become a, a used car dealer. They have to have the financial wherewithal to do it. And they have to have a bond with the state of Tennessee. I mean, they are insured, and you are insured, if they misbehave and do something wrong. Of course, you have to take it to a pretty high, uh, far extent as far as enforcement. But if you get taken advantage of by a dealer, you can call the Tennessee Motor Vehicle Commission through the Department of Commerce, and you can get uh, you can get your situation resolved. They will put the heat big time on a car dealer if they if they misbehave and they they get turned into the state. So something to think about. Okay, I'll be back in just one minute. A couple other things on buying a car from individuals. Uh, if you buy from a dealer, you're going to have uh, the legal documentation is going to be right 99.9% .9 of the time. If you buy from an indiv individual and they have an out-of-state title or you are going to register that vehicle in a state that requires for example, the titles to be notarized. You better know that, and, and you better have um, the people s sign that document in front of a notary. 
you know, because the, the person that's selling it to you is supposed to sign the title, back of the title. You're supposed to sign the back of the title. But in many states, uh, that signatures or those signatures have to be notarized. They don't have to be in the state of Tennessee because we're backwards. No, I'm kidding. We just make it easier. But a lot of states do require that. And then also, um, you know, there's other places on that form, on the title, for example, mileage, VIN numbers, um, addresses. So much of this stuff has to be perfect because if you take it to your state to register it, they'll look at it and say, no, we're not, re- we're not registering this vehicle. Why not? Well, because it doesn't have the information. The name on the title, for example, on the front of the title, is not the same as the name written here. Because instead of writing Jonathan Richard Thomas, they just put J.R. Thomas. That's the way they wrote it out. Some states won't accept that. So you got to make sure that the title is signed on the back exactly like it is on the front. And if the people have died, you better have the documentation saying that the people that are selling this car have the right to sign that title. And you know some states even require a copy of the death certificate and a copy of the estate uh, that shows that these people have the right to own this car. A lot of people you know, take ownership of a car because of a relative that's passed away, and they don't have the documentation to transfer title, and it's so important that you do that. That's where you might need to get a lawyer involved. You don't go to you know, lawdepot.com to figure that out. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. If you have any questions, call me 423-552-2020 or send me a text or send me an email to lennylawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.